Hello everyone, my name is Cliff Duvinois, and after 20 years I returned to my native Michigan and in my quest to reconnect with our great state, I want to talk to the leaders that are behind Michigan's top destinations. I want to learn more about them and the great experiences they and their team provide all of us Michiganders, and perhaps I'll learn a few things along the way. Welcome to the Call of Leadership podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Cliff Duvinois, your host Today, uh, we've got Jim Holton with us on the line, and he is the owner and manager of uh, a litany of different restaurants, family restaurants that are located around Michigan, and we're going to cover all those different restaurants today in the interview, but please welcome to the show, Jim Holton. Jim, how are you? Doing good, Cliff. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for asking. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Originally from my mother. I grew up in a small town uh, in <laughs> southern Michigan, Pinckney, Michigan. Went to Pinckney High School down there near, near Ann Arbor, Brighton, Howell area. And I came to Central Michigan University, fire up chips, to be a meteorologist. And during that time in school, I had a little hobby of brewing beer. And I enjoyed that a lot. I nice. love the creativity side of beer and, and the artistry that it, it had. And I thought, wow, it'd be kind of interesting to open up a, a brewery and maybe a restaurant in the town of Mount Pleasant. And 25 years ago, uh, I was able to start a restaurant called Mountain Town Station, which is housed in an old train depot right in downtown, the heart of downtown Mount Pleasant. And that's where it started. So that was my start of my restaurant career. And it was a uh, exponential learning curve. I wanted to brew beer, didn't want anything to do with the restaurant industry or business, but just kind of got thrust into it. And you had to learn the hard way along the ways from dishwashing to bartending to cleaning to everything you could think of. And I'm still doing it 25 years later. So I got to ask this question and take a step back here. So you originally were going into meteorology. What, what made you decide to pick that as a profession? Yeah. You know, as a, as a younger kid, science fair, I built a little weather kit, you know, talking about what a barometer does and an anemometer. And I was just fascinated by weather. And, and Central has a wonderful meteorological program. So I started going through that and I never finished my degree in meteorology. I transferred over to uh, business and economics and got my bachelor of science degrees in those fields. And uh, just never finished that, that degree, unfortunately. And uh, it probably had to do with some of my beer making. I, I have to admit, <laughs> but you never know, you never know. You know, I wouldn't mind going back and finishing that degree, but I'm still fascinated by weather. I still predict, I still uh, am one of those amateur meteorologists still at, that enjoys that part of uh, life. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. And I know you said that you got into, you know, doing doing the homebrew. What was it that made you decide? What was it made you decide to do it? You know, um, a roommate at the time in my sophomore year introduced me to a, a gentleman who actually made his own beer at home. And I'm like, you can make your own beer. You know, I was <laughs> beer making as. You know, in college, the Keystone Light and the natural lights of the world, that is your world of drinking beer, the, the light American style lager or ales. So I saw something with some color to it and flavor to it. I'm like, well, if he can make this, I can make it. So I did a little research, got a book and read about brewing your own beer, something that Jimmy Carter did as president, which would allow home brewing. He had signed that into law. And so got myself a couple of five gallon buckets and check valves and <laughs> empty bottles that I, I went to a local distributor with. They had the flip top caps on it and I started brewing my own beer. And that's how it started off. And I really was fascinated by it and the things that you can do with it. It's just like baking a cake. You know, you have different recipes, you have different styles. And every time you do it, it might be just a little bit different. And that's what I really liked about the craft beverage industry. 
Yeah, I was just thinking when you said that, my, my roommate and I in college, we actually tried this on our own. Uh, <laughs> and it went out, you know, bought the kit and we're, you know, trying to make it. And we got it into some bottles and, you know, popped it open and it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> that does happen. And I got to admit, I had a few myself that way. Sanitation is so key in brewing beer. It is right down to a very uh, a medical science. So uh, that was one of the first lessons I learned as well. Nice, nice, excellent. So you decided to take your love of beer to the next level and open up, you know, open up, open up, you know, a brewery and restaurant. Yes. Yeah, and restaurant. What what made you think that that? And and I have to ask this question because being in a restaurant business is tough. So what made you think that you could actually like do this and be successful at it? Yeah. So here again, a young kid just getting out of college, trying to figure out what to do with his life with an economics and business degree and a love of passion and passion for beer. You know, I hooked up with a gentleman that was in the restaurant business. And so our partnership was going to start off and he was going to take care of the restaurant side. I would take care of the beverage side. And I thought that would work out uh, fantastic. As partnerships go, sometimes those things don't work out and the partner left Mountain Town Station. And so I was given the task to run everything. And so I was basically a thrust into it and I had my life into it at this point in time. And so I figured out a way to make it work. And so I called on people that were in the restaurant industry to get tips of the trade. And I was willing to do anything possible to make it work. I was working hundred hour weeks in the business I was changing menu items, getting a lot of customer feedback and just learning the trade. Again, it was exponential at first five, 10 years uh, to try to get better at it every single day. And you're right, it's not the easiest business in the world, but I tell you, I, I wouldn't give it up. The passion is there, the fun, excitement, the people that you meet. It's just every day is something different. And that's what I really like about this industry. Nice, excellent. So not only did you you open up your first restaurant but it looks like your family and because i know that your family's involved with a lot of family restaurants so why don't you like just walk us through the list of all the restaurants that that you that you that you currently own and manage okay so we start off with our mothership we call it mountain town station and so mountain town is our, our that's where my home base is that's where my office is and that's where we're doing this interview at this moment. And then we decided to take our beer. We're getting a lot of requests for beer. And so we started a business called Mount Pleasant Brewing Company, which was a microbrewery. And so that was in a separate location. And that was a bottle kegging and canning facility to get beer across the Midwest. Because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of microbreweries out there like there are today. And so we want to try to capture that market in shelf space in your local stores to uh, your favorite bar and restaurant having beer on tap. So again, hiring a staff in, brewmasters and things like that, we started expanding that that project itself. We then moved into, you know, I, I was looking, there was a beautiful restaurant in town that had uh, gone out of business. There was a, a space lacking and a little bit more of a finer dining caliber. And so we started Camille's Prime. Camille's Prime is a prime steakhouse. So it's fresh flown in seafood, prime steaks, an extensive wine list we were featured in Wine Spectator magazine. Nice. Uh, just a nice, intimate dining experience around 70 seats, a couple of fireplaces. So when you get your reservation, sit down, it really truly is uh, an experience that you have. That's something different that wasn't in this community back then. Oh, then I'm down in a small town called Elma, Michigan. Elma is a great town. Elma College, 
down there and I was walking around downtown and I'm like, you know, a town like this should have a brewery in it, as all towns should. So we opened, <laughs> up, we opened up Elma Brewing Company down there. And the, the community in the town couldn't be more welcoming with what we did down there. And that's about a seven-year-old restaurant down there, heart of downtown, the old brick style building that are kind of long and narrow inside, but have a lot of history to them. Just a beautiful little location. We brew nice beers down there as well. It's a great, great community restaurant down there for those folks down there. Then we opened up the Summit Smokehouse. Now that actually attaches to our microbrewery. And so, you know, here I am on my back porch all these uh, couple of years and I'm smoking brisket, pulled pork, doing ribs, smoking turkeys, just having a good time with it. And I wanted to take that to the next level. So we opened the Summit Smokehouse. That isn't a warehouse style looking building, double garage doors that open up. You know, in the summertime, so you get that breeze coming through there. You can smell that smoke of that hickory and mesquite blend that we use to smoke our meats with. Just a great, great smokehouse barbecue restaurant with a litany of craft beers, again, that we brew on site from there. And believe it or not, call me crazy, but I decided to open up one more restaurant called St. John's Brewing Company <laughs> in beautiful downtown St. John's. And we opened up that up in December 1st. Now, we only opened up with carryout because remember back then, we are only carry out only the governor had us for dining customers right so we decided to open up with carry out and it's been uh, very successful down there with carry out people are enjoying the products and that's a hybrid restaurant between a smokehouse like the summit and mountain town station with their blooming onion and their scotch eggs and their world famous ribs things like that so it's far enough away and so we're bringing kind of the best of our, our recipes from our other certain restaurants to st john's and once again, you couldn't find a more welcoming community, whether it's the downtown business associations, my neighbors down there, the city commission, the mayor. It's just been a wonderful experience to open up this restaurant in downtown St. John's. Excellent. And and so what what I'd like to do is because you've got like a whole litany of these, you know, of the of the restaurants that are here. What is it when you decide, you know, hey, this is a good place to open up? you know, a restaurant, what makes you decide like the type of restaurant? Like for instance, you were talking about, you know, the smokehouse and Camille's prime. What, what is it that, that you sit there and say to yourself, you know what, this would be really good for a steakhouse right here. What, yeah. what drives you know, that decision? It really is the feel, the competition and, and what's, what's available in that community and surrounding area. You know, you know, I looked around Mount Pleasant and there was no dine-in barbecue restaurants that were around here. And I like to stay up with the trends that are going on out there and what's hot, what's not type of thing. So I knew that had to be successful when we opened that at Mount Pleasant. And it was, you know, when you go to like places like Elma and St. John's, they do have some great local establishments, but not a lot of them. And there's always room for that one more because normally your customers will go out to eat two to three times a week. And so when you only have an offer of maybe one or two restaurants, there's room for another restaurant that won't hurt other ones in town and actually drive business in because people will drive into town for that restaurant. And then they'll they'll see the other restaurants that are there and try them the next time they're in town. So it's a win-win for everybody. And I just get that feel in those communities that, that yeah, this would be a good spot for it. I find the location, I, I can envision the look of the building on the inside and think, wow, would I want to dine here or not? Those type of things. So it really comes down to the emotional part of it, but also a little bit of scientific work on what's out there, know your surroundings, know your right. competition, and hopefully it works. Awesome. Great. Now with regards to, cause I know we've, we've hit on this topic and I want, I want to make sure that we do a deep dive. Cause I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are very serious about the, the, the craft of the beer. 
mm-hmm. the brew pub, the microbrewery. So for for this right here, is this something that you're you know, because I know you're managing these places. Is this something that you're still intricately involved with? Do you have a brewmaster that you know that you've employed uh, to help you try these different types of beers? What? How does that? How does that dynamic work? That's one of the unfortunate parts of getting a little bit larger in your organization. Is I don't, I'm a certified brewmaster, and I haven't brewed a batch of beer in years, unfortunately. Ooh. So I hire the talent, and the good news is they can't snow me on their, their either performance or their knowledge of beer because I know it myself, which is really nice. And so I have a great team of brewers that work in our, our main mothership brewing company, uh, Mountain Town Brewing, that, that really handle everything. There's a person that runs the seller program. So that's the person that will keg, can, and bottle the beer when necessary when the orders come in. A main brewmaster that brews the batches of beer, but we also have let the guys do their specialty batches. So everyone involved in the brewery can brew their own batch of beer in a small quantity. We, we talk about a small quantity. It's about 10 to 15 kegs worth. Okay. And so they get to play around. And, and two years ago, well, we did almost 400 different beers that we were able to provide to our customers. So 400 oh. different styles of beer. So we didn't want to, We have our core brands, obviously, our train wreck and other beers like that, that are core brand. But let's get out there because people like that variety sometimes. And so we will... Go with the flow. And if it's a holiday beer, it could be a spring seasonal. It could be a locally grown ingredient beer. It could be just fun, just fun beers. And so that's what I want the guys to do. I want them, if they're going to be brewing beer, to have some fun with what they're doing. And you could actually feel and taste that passion in that beer that they brew. It's theirs. You know, and they're proud of it. We do the unveiling. We get the picture with the pint glass in their hand. And then our mug club group comes out and drinks. And it's just, uh, just an overall great, great event when we tap a new keg. Nice. Absolutely love it. And I know that, because I know you mentioned before a train wreck, the, the, you know, the beers that you're brewing, if, you know, if there's like, if I'm driving down the road and I see like, you know, a Myers grocery mm-hmm. store, are your, are your brews available in there for people to buy? My beers are available in a lot of retail locations out in the state of Michigan. I can't mention them because it's actually illegal for me to mention the locations. Oh, okay. Out there, believe it or not. But yeah, many, many locations, many retailers out there have it in bottle and can form. So I'm going to have to ask this question and forgive my <laughs> ignorance. Why is it illegal for you to mention the places where the people can actually get your beer? Yeah. So being a manufacturer, there are laws on the books with the liquor control commission called aiding and abetting. And so <laughs> I would actually be aiding a retailer by stating their name. And we found that out the hard way. And so that's why I can't mention the names of those <sighs> locations. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. I'm, I'm sorry for, you know. <laughs> that's okay. No, no. I, I get that question all the time and I'm okay with it. But I also know how to uh, avoid being fined. <laughs> how about that? Man, I, okay. I hear you there, brother. You definitely, yeah, you definitely <laughs> don't want to do that. And that's actually part of the reason why I do this podcast because I'm, I'm getting exposed to new things all the time. And I had, Absolutely. I had no idea that uh, this was, by you mentioning the name of a store would actually qualify as aiding and abetting. Aiding and abetting. I think of like, you know, somebody hiding a, an escaped murderer in their basement <laughs> or something, you know? Exactly right. Yeah. You know, and so definitely if you have a, a retailer that you like and you buy your beer from, ask them to get it because we do distribute to every location in the state of Michigan right. and Northern Indiana. So we cover all those areas. Now, when you're, you know, you let your brewmasters go, is it just you know, carte blanche, you know, create, just create us something that's good. Do you have like, you know, guidelines? Are you leaning more towards, you know, making sure that they stick with, you know, maybe, you know, like 
you know, like local ingredients, like let's say that you guys make a cherry beer or something like that. Uh, how, do, how does that whole process work? The answer to that is yes to all those questions. <laughs> they are Love able it. to, they can brew whatever they want to brew. It is really up to them. The main goal, it must be drinkable. Obviously, we do yeah. not want to waste a beer from there. Right. And you need to practice the proper guidelines on brewing a beer. Obviously, sanitation is key, but you also have to make something that's drinkable. So I got to tell you, in the years that I've been letting the brewmasters go at it, I can't tell you of one beer that I said, I would never want to drink this. I would never want to sell it or right. we have to dump it. And so I'm going to knock on wood that to say that they just they're professionals and they know what they know and they do a great job at it. Excellent. Nice. And with regards to, you know, coming up with the, with the different kinds of beers, what are, what are some of the inspiration that, you know, that, that these, you know, the brewmasters come up with, or, you know, what is, what is, what is that? Yeah. I guess what is the inspiration for these beers? Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, I told you mountain town station is near a railroad track. So you might get a little train whistle coming here in just a few minutes. So (laughs) the inspirations really are seasonal. And so that's where the inspiration comes from. So, ah. you know, in your winter time, you have a little bit of a stronger alcohol beer, stronger flavored beer. Now you get to the springtime. There's the train. The people might be coming by. <laughs> that in the springtime, you know, we've done a dandelion beer. We've done watermelon. We've done different parts of the season. Summertime, we've used different ingredients that are in season, whether they're fresh raspberries from the raspberry farm down the road to fresh barley or barley that's being malted just, you know, 10 miles down the road at a friend's farm. So a lot of seasonality goes into our beers because that's just how it works. And that's how it always worked back in the days, you know? And so, yeah, that's what we do. That is absolutely great. And so what I'd like to do is, is, and I know you guys have a whole, you know, I know you got a collection of restaurants, you got a whole litany of, of these different beers you choose from and mm-hmm. uh, and obviously you like them all mm-hmm. but let's let's take a step back here for a second and you know let's say that somebody's like you know what i'd like to try some of these beers right what would yep. be what would be like maybe like your your top three picks if you were gonna if you were gonna taste our beers these are three that i would recommend you go look at so number one our flagship beer called the train wreck and it's named that for a reason it is a little higher in alcohol content and so you got to be careful. You don't want to turn into a train wreck if you have too many. But that beer is a dark amber beer, but it's brewed with uh, Michigan maple syrup and honey. Oh. So what that does is when those sugars ferment out, the sweetness goes away, but it leaves those residual flavors inside there, which makes that beer a very unique tasting beer. So that's the flagship number one that I think everyone should try out there. Okay. If you're into a hoppy style beer, our Iron Horse IPA. Now, this IPA is one of those that you can drink it and say, wow, you know, I, I get the hop out of it. It's, it's, it's a true IPA, but it's not overwhelming to the point that it strips your taste buds out with too much. <laughs> it's really an, an all-around good-flavored, good-tasting, amber-style India pale ale that is, is a good seller for us, but is, is, but something that I like all day long. It's great with ribs. It's great with spicy food. So it's a good pairing with those items from there. And, you know, I don't mind saying it, but I enjoy a good raspberry wheat beer and we make a raspberry wheat. It's one of our third best selling beers that we have with fresh raspberry puree that we use in it. Now it's no wine cooler. You know, it's not overly <laughs> sweet. This has that hint of raspberry in it. So it's a, it's a wheat beer on the base. So it's like uh, uh, it's a wheat beer, but it also has that flavor profile and that look that you would see in a raspberry. 
it's just wonderful. Very refreshing, very easy drinking, and uh, it's great all year round, but especially in the summertime when you're out by the pool. Yeah, I've actually become more and more of a fan of of the wheat beers as time has gone by. I will admit yeah. that when it comes to beers, I'm a little bit of a debutante when Good. it comes to these, and I seem to be sticking primarily more with the with, you know with the blondes. Yes. I am interested in trying, I've actually seen Iron Horse on the shelf. So as okay. soon as you said that, I, I was like, oh, I know what that is. I would try Iron Horse because I just yeah. haven't quite developed a palate for IPA beers. And I'm, okay. I, I have it on good, I have it on, on good word, I guess I should say that <laughs> usually your, your more advanced beer drinkers uh, prefer yep. the IPA. Yeah. Yeah. But I've had uh, also novice beer drinkers enjoy it as well. It just has that good flavor profile. I think you really enjoy on that Iron Horse. It's good. Wheat beers are great as well. Good for you. Uh, you know, I'll throw that out there. A lot of B12 in, in those wheat beers. So uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a health drink, that's for sure. But <laughs> at least you know you're doing something good with those wheats. Yeah, unless you get fined for <laughs> for, for saying that this is healthy for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. We'll find out, won't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, definitely don't want to make that happen. So... And I know right now we're we're doing we're we're in the middle of this you know this this COVID thing, and hopefully by the time this interview airs, that a lot of these restrictions are going to be lifted, mm-hmm. or you know getting something. But you know, are 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 these different places, the different restaurants, are they are they open for takeout right now? Can people order food and and get it? Are you know, are do you also sell also sell your brew through there as well? So people wanted to get you know maybe a, a, you know a six pack of your of your brew with dinner, they can do that. How how is this working out? Yeah, so obviously we had to spin really fast when the shutdown started in March. And so we really developed our, our carryout program all across the board. And, and so far it's worked out pretty well. You know, it's it took a while for people to transition into, okay, I'm sick of the fast food or the pizza at this point in time. Now I want to see what else is out there. And that's when they started really getting to those local restaurants that they used to go to and sit down but wouldn't think about having carryout. And so we had to spin up real quick on to get a program together, trying to get a carryout menu that would work. Because there's some items you just don't want to carry out. You right. know, you don't want to take French fries are very hard to carry out to last. By the time they get home, they'll get cold and they're no good from there. So, you know, we had to adjust and do different things. We do a weekly lasagna special, let's say, you know, just pan of lasagna. We do our award-winning ribs, which travel real well. We do a prime rib on the weekends. My locations in Alma and St. John's do some weekend specials as well, just to try to get something different for the guests that want to get that carryout from there. We've started a couple of locations with online ordering. So that was new. We had, to, we had to run to get to that as soon as possible. We didn't have that. So if there's any good news about the shutdowns, it made us rethink how to sell our, our products, our food items and beer to our guests. And so, like I said, we've looked at that in different ways, curbside service rearranging how our phone systems ring if it gets busy it goes into a queue system instead of being being put on hold we've had to get more growlers and howlers in so those are the half gallon jugs and the half of a half uh, gallon jug that people can bring in and refill with beers we've actually added a canning system to our locations you can go and you can actually get a 16 ounce can of our product so you just want to can boom boom we put it in the machine it seams it up and out the door it goes so we, we just had, again, we had to pivot and transition to how can we get our products out to our, our guests and the most convenient packets possible. Right. 
Excellent. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, once again, once this interview airs, that's a lot of these restrictions will be lifted and things can go and back we to. We think it will, you know, as summer comes around, as the vaccines take hold, you know, and we feel that once the weather gets close to warming up, we're talking Aprilish, May, that really we have to figure out how to get our outdoor dining up and going because we know that will probably be fully open at least. Right. And so we need to pivot and get into that as well. So we ordered new tables different things like that to get that to to get outside more is what we're going to do. Wow. That was even something that I, I hadn't even really considered, but yeah, more and more people are pushing for outdoor dining. So yeah, you've got to, yep. you've got to kind of restructure how you're, how you're doing your business to be able to accommodate that. Absolutely. The state of Michigan opened up grant programs for aid and helping for outdoor dining. So they gave us some funding to purchase outdoor. And so we, we bought a bunch of outdoor heaters we bought outdoor cooking equipment. We we bought tables and chairs, things like that. So we bought items to go outside. So when this is ready to go, they're all stored right now in warehouse. We can bring them and crack them open and get them going as soon as possible. Nice. Nice. Excellent. So if if people want to uh, connect with you online, follow it is what you're doing, stay up to date as to like what specials you're going or, you know, when these restrictions start being lifted, you know, and your different restaurants are being open. What's what's the best way for them to do that? You know, our, our best platform so far has been Facebook and every one of our restaurants has a Facebook page, whether it's Mountain Town Station, Summit Smokehouse, Elma Brewing Company, St. John's Brewing Company and Camille's Prime. So they're all out there and they all intertie together. So you will be able to link from the different pages, but that's how we get out as much as possible or have been during our, this pandemic to get the word out what we have going on. Obviously all our restaurants have, our, have a website as well, but we find the real time up-to-date stuff and comments and getting back to you with questions that you might have would be through our Facebook pages. Okay, excellent. And for our audience, we will have all those links in the show notes down below. Jim, thanks so much for, for taking time to be on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, actually trying all of your places because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm hungry already. We will need your business, Cliff, and we will need your, your listeners' business as soon as possible. Yes, and definitely, um, man, if it was up to me, you guys would be open today. <laughs> yeah. So the one thing I'll leave you is just make sure no matter where you are, support the local restaurants. You know, take that time, if, if they're still closed, to get carry out at least once a week from them. That makes a heck of a difference. Just even that once a week will do it for them to get them through this hard time. Because when they're gone, they could be gone forever. And we don't want that. Amen to that, brother. Because uh, if there's one thing that I really do appreciate, and that is especially after a hard week, is going out somewhere and just having a good quality meal with either, you know, well, I'm definitely looking forward to trying your brews. But, you know, either a glass of wine or one of your one of your brews. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So. Thank you, Cliff, very much. Hey, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe to our email newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get new episode announcements. You'll get all kinds of great behind-the-scenes information on upcoming guests. Plus, you'll receive special offers from our guests and partners that you can only get through the email newsletter. Subscribing is quick, easy, and best of all, it is free. Just go to callleadership.com email. Type in your email address and you're done. Once again, that's calloflearership.com slash email. I'll catch you in the next episode.